Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. But the, tonight, uh, I think there's some things that I want to cover. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, in the midst of them I am. And if he's here, he's not in a hurry. And so we're just going to try to follow the leading of the Spirit. Uh, it is so important, and I, when I come up to the pulpit, and like other pastors and ministers that come up here, it's so important that I try to make sure my vessel's clean. As I was standing here uh, tonight before service, I thought, there's one thing I love more than anything else in the world. That's to feel God's anointing flowing through me. Uh, there's no other feeling, no other, um, I don't know how to explain it outside of receiving the Holy Ghost, to know that God is speaking through you and you're under his uh, uh, anointing. But to do that, you've got a clean house. It's so important that I, I ask God to search me and make sure that all the clutter is out of the way because I don't want the, the pipes clogged to inhibit the flow of his spirit. And so if it's important for the preacher to make sure that he's blood-washed and forgiven and ready for the presence of God to descend upon him, how much more should it be for those that want to receive it? And tonight, uh, I know that you've taken time to, to talk to God today and ask him to search your heart, but that's why the Bible tells us that we have to pray continually because we're so easily beset by sin and thoughts. And tonight, I, we're going to start a series that Brother Kylie wanted us to start um, this month. We talked about it a month ago already. And my topic is going to be the purpose of life. Wow. The purpose of life. It's almost like the old topic that says, what is truth? What is the purpose for my life? Some have rephrased it and said, what is the will of God for my life? But that's a little different than my topic. What is the purpose of my life? I'm going to have a lot of scriptures. I, you got them all up there, Sister Carol? 17 or 18 of them. I thought I better write them down. Luke 12 and 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Be on your guard. Watch out for greed. Your life isn't built upon what you own. And then 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, verse 1 through 8, it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. In other words, preach the truth. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage 
with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. But you, that's us, but you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Let me just make a, a comment on this portion of scripture. Remember when Moses was at the end of his ministry just before uh, he went up, I believe it was to Mount Nebo, and they never saw him again? And he died and God buried him. But remember what he did before he left? He commissioned Joshua. He talked to Joshua and, he, and to the people of Israel and he commissioned them to keep the faith, to obey God. Here I find Paul doing that to the saints of God before he leaves. Paul has been the most powerful preacher of his time and I dare say the most powerful preacher that has ever lived. He staked his whole life, his whole existence on the creation of, a, of the body of Christ, hoping that it would continue on after he was gone. That was his purpose. The Roman guillotine was his destiny. He lived not for his destiny, now, I know that on earth his destiny was a guillotine. In heaven, he says he talks about a crown. But on earth, he was martyred, just like every one of the other disciples save John. But he realized that the purpose and the reason for his being on earth must continue on through those he's converted through the word of God. And so when, we, when preachers get up behind the pulpit, they must continually admonish people to hold fast to sound doctrine. For there's coming a day, and it already has arrived, when people will not hold on to it. All you have to do is remember what happened last week, and you can look at all the ministers with their white collars on that are performing gay marriages and, and in the name of the Lord. And see that the world is radically changed and, changed. and it's changing almost as fast as automation is. Psalms 90 verse 9 through 12 says, All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. 
Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He's basically saying that the best of our years on earth do not even compare to, the thing, to one moment in heaven. They seem to come and pass so quickly. Help me to focus on those things that I have while I have them. Help me to find my purpose in this world. Because life contains no promises. I never got any guarantees when I was born. They never on my birth certificate issued a warranty. I had no control over the place of my birth. I had no control over my parents, any of the attributes that I had, whether I was skilled in one area or another. I began to realize, not only in my physical life, but in my spiritual life, that sometimes my life brought gain, and I prospered, and then sometimes life brought loss. But I, I've learned a little trick. The harder I work, it seems the luckier, luckier financially I am. I added that on there because sometimes we as Christians, we go on spiritual welfare. We come to church looking for food stamps and benefits. We're, we're living off others' sacrifices. But God was so specific, he said, go to the ant, you sluggard. Look how they, they prepare. And then he goes on to say, if a man doesn't work, neither let him eat. In other words, if he doesn't invest in his own welfare, don't feed him. And I take that, that image into my walk with God. If I don't pray... If I don't worship, if I don't read my Bible, if I don't work in the kingdom of God doing what God has commissioned me to do and fulfilling my purpose, what right do I have to expect anything of God? Work while it's yet day. I, I think that, I don't want to talk too much about myself, but I my, my dad did give me something, me and my brother something, a number of things. But the greatest thing that I, gave, I think he gave me and my brother was, uh, not in a spiritual sense, is a work ethic. He taught us from little kids on, when we were eight and nine years old, that if we wanted something hard enough and worked for it, it was attainable. We did paper routes I sold seeds. I worked for Fuller Brush. I weeded gardens because there were things that I wanted and my dad said, you can have them. And so the work ethic was already planted inside me so that I wouldn't expect others all the time 
to give me what I could get myself. I think the work ethic in the church is important. That saints of God, tonight, if there's something that you want, and I feel like God's giving me this statement tonight, many of you want something, but how much are you willing to give for it of yourself? Are you willing to work for it? Now, I don't buy into this thing, by grace you're saved through faith, so you don't have to do nothing. Salvation is a gift. Just Once you're saved, you're always saved. That's nonsense. I'm saved by a work, by Christ's work. But my Bible tells me that I've got to pick up a cross too. I've got to pick up the cause and the cross of Christ. And that if I have faith, I'll have works. And if I don't have works, I won't have faith. Because if I had faith, I would be working to achieve the things that God has promised. You know, some people seem to be tremendously blessed with patience, love, and kindness while other people are so cynical and they're so full of bitterness. But I want to tell you, in either case, God watches over each person, waiting for that moment when that individual reaches out to something greater than himself. You ever have a plant, and I'm speaking more to the women than the men, and, and you had a little garden, and I'm thinking about at the Regency in New Berlin, they have this beautiful portico and they've allowed residents to plant their own plants and in their own area they've got their name and they're out there and I know that they come out waiting for the blossoms to open and they're, they're expecting it, they've cared for it and they've invested in work and, and weeding and they're waiting for it to open up. I thank God the master gardener has invested a lot in you. And he walks through church waiting for the opportunity to gather some of the beauty of his investment. How are we beautiful to God? And I, I'm not wandering too much away, I don't believe. What does God call beautiful? Think of a scripture, the beauty Yep, yep. What's another one? So the feet mean you're walking, right? You're carrying, you're a carrier of truth. But what's another word? The beauty of what? Yeah, beauty for ashes. That's the one I'm looking for. Beauty of holiness. What is holiness? Anybody want to give me the definition? of the word holy. Yep, separation. The word, if you went back to the Greek, would be sanctified or set apart. We are a, a holy priesthood, a royal generation set apart to God. So our purpose on the earth is different than the purpose of those in the world, wouldn't you say? But you know, some people to life, life is a burden. 
I say, life is wonderful. Live it to its fullness. I, I go back to Genesis, the second chapter, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Do you realize that of everything that was ever created and anything that you see around you in God's creation, God spoke into existence? But you, he did not. He brought man into existence with his hands. He created him specifically in his image and in his likeness. Do you see the difference there? In his image and his likeness. So the likeness and the image are not the same. If they were the same, there wouldn't have been an and between them. I have some of the same attributes that God has. He put them inside of me. I have laughter, joy. I also have anger. So I'm created in his image and after his likeness. He gave me a soul, and with that soul, he gave me something else to make it alive. He put within me his spirit and made me a living soul. Then what he did is he covered that soul with flesh and blood or a body. You know, we take care of our body much better than we take care of our soul. I, I always used to marvel. I, I see people driving these Cadillacs worth 40 grand and they go home to a hovel. In other words, the place where they lived was not as important as the image that they wanted to portray on the street. If I take better care of the exterior than I do of what I really am, a living soul. That's why you shouldn't fear death if you're right with God, of course, because all that dies is the exterior of, of what your soul has been living in. You don't cease to exist. The spirit is in the soul, make it a living soul. I could get more into that, but I think I'll just leave that for another time. It's called the mystery of life. Psalms 8 and 4. And this has been a great question, and David writes this. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? When you think of the omniscience of God. Now remember, he fills all heaven and earth. He told Job, there's no place that you can go that I'm not already there. That means the farthest galaxy beyond our solar system, beyond anything that man has ever discovered, God is already there. He spoke all these things into existence, all the galaxies and the stars and the planets, in just a moment of time. And then I say, here we are, one little speck of dust, if we could even be that big in all of God's creation, and yet he's mindful of us. 
How can we be aware of not only mankind, but he even knows my thoughts? He knows my needs. He knows my struggles. And David, like the prophets and other men of God, and like yourself throughout time, have said, why, God, do you even take time to know a creation that rebels against you? Have you ever rebelled against God? Have you ever done anything that he's told you not to? That's rebellion, by the way. And yet he comes back. The real question, though, is about life itself. It's not about life itself, but about the meaning of life. And God's purpose for you and for me. Now, I think we all have the same questions. Why me? Why here? Why now? I believe that God has a specific purpose and a unique value of every aspect of creation. Now, I, have, I don't know where they all fit in. I was looking at a wood tick a while back, and I said, I, I really don't know why that God created that thing because I don't think the birds like them. They serve no purpose. At least the birds eat mosquitoes. But everything that God created has a purpose and interacts, and it interacts with his creation. Nothing that he has ever done has been done accidentally or even, for that matter, haphazardly. I'd like to remind you that humanity was created with the highest purpose. Humanity was created most uniquely by God in the way that he even formed him. Man was given dominion and leadership over the rest of creation. Not anything else that God created was given dominion over any part of his creation except man. Man filled a special role in all that was done. He gave man authority to name those things that were in the Garden of Eden. He gave him dominion. And then he wanted to do something that he would not do with anything else he created. God desired to have communion with it, with, it, with humanity. He wanted humanity to show its appreciation to him in its worship and with its fellowship, which he really wanted freely given. If I went back and talked to Adam this evening and I asked Adam what was the best part of his life on earth before he died, what do you think it would be when he walked in the garden with God? when he had fellowship and communion with him? Mark 12, 27 says he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Dead men cannot praise God nor commune with him. So a fulfilled life is a, live, a living life doing what it was designed to do. And it's a life that communes with God 
and gives forth its praise to its creator, its purpose. That is one of the major purposes in your existence here on this earth. Not your only purpose, but it was the reason that you were created initially. To worship him, to commune with him. I think of a song that, and we sing in here all the time, nothing can compare to the promises I have in him. I say too that nothing can compare to the life that I have in him. The life that he has given me to live in him. There's not enough wealth or riches on this earth there isn't enough talent that you could give a person to take the place of a relationship with the God of creation, with Christ. You know, but it's, I, I look at the world, and like you, I have been taunted by what I've saw the last couple weeks, and it, it bothers me by what I see. Unfortunately, many people live each day without God as their reference point for living, and that's what's happened in our, our country. We had a reference point. We had a foundation to build the country on. It was built upon the word of God and a relationship with him. But when they took the reference point away from society and they stopped giving our children a point by which they could focus on, Everyone started to do what happened in the Old Testament when there were no judges. Every person started to do what was right in their own eyes. And today, if you look at the paper and you see the news, everybody does just what they want to do. There is no real basis of morality in even our leadership. They're trying to find something that will bring them peace. They wander aimlessly from bottle to bottle, from pill to pill, looking for the thrill that, they'll, that their soul is craving to have, but it will only come when it meets its creator. And they fall deeper every day and deeper into depravity and immorality. And I shared with a man this morning and we were talking about Romans, the first chapter, and it says that God, because they chose not to keep God in their minds or in their lives, God turned them over to lust and to do these things that are uncomely. And I thought about that, and I'm, I'm getting to the place where I don't want to keep silent anymore. I don't want to be part of the silent majority. When people say they were born that way, it's quite possible since God has turned this nation over to depravity that that withholding of his spirit has sort of drifted away and people find it easier to fall into those spiritual addictions of the flesh, the spirit of lust. God's turned them over to it. The same way, now we talk about this, that if a person does not receive the truth and the rapture comes, what will happen to that person? If that person heard the gospel 
and he rejected the gospel and the rapture comes, what does the Bible say will happen to that person? Or if it was a person that knew the truth and left, because they received not a love of the truth that they should obey it, God shall turn them over to a reprobate mind. In other words, it will be impossible for them to understand what was something that was so clearly evident. Have you ever talked to someone and you wonder, are there any lights on upstairs? It's like, I don't think it's important how you get baptized. Well, do you know they did it every time in the name of Jesus? Well, I don't know if that's the right way or not. And, and you go on to say things like, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. Well, that's a word and a deed. Would well, do you want to do it in the name of Jesus? Well, I don't think you have to. But see what's happening, that, that spirit is entering into people where they don't want to hear the truth and God allows them, since they reject truth, to fall into a position of spiritual depravity. And I think that's why God told us to avoid vain disputations or arguments. Because in some cases, you're just not going to get through until God opens the shade. You know, as... Um, well, let me go back here. Um, John 10 and 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you have a full life? Good measure, shaken, running over. Do you have a full life? That's why he came. As Paul preached to, to the philosophers in Athens, he revealed to them the basic human need. And in Acts 17, verse 27 and 28, it says that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him. Though he be not far from every one of us, for in him... We live and move and have our being. What was he saying to the philosophers? It, you're not just going to stumble on Jesus. You're not going to just follow, hopefully find him while you're just reading casually a book. It's in the day that you seek him with all of your heart that you will find him. And when you find him, if you have a hungry heart, he will allow you to see who he is. No man can say that he is the Christ unless the Lord reveal it to him from heaven. There's a transaction that takes place between humanity and divinity only when humanity seeks divinity. That's why some people never get the revelation of deity because they never really truly seek it. And in some cases, they're afraid what they'll find. I want to tell you that only Christ can satisfy and give purpose to a confused life. 
However, it's our responsibility to seek after him. I'll tell you this though, a hungry heart does not have to seek long for the Lord to make sure he's near unto them that seek him. I'm glad my brother isn't here tonight. I want to tell you, I felt so sorry for him. That brother of mine brought me to church. He, he was new and he, he sort of deceived me. I guess any way you can get somebody to come to church is fine. He tricked me to come to church. And he had been seeking the Holy Ghost for a while. Well, I came to church one time, and I won't get into the long testimony part of it, but I was scared off by what happened to me that, that Wednesday night. It was a Wednesday night. I'm sitting in the pew, and there's probably as many people here tonight as there were that night, and looking at all the crazy people clapping and stomping their feet. We had some stompers back then, and I remember people just stomping that old wood floor in that old building. And I, I thought, boy, they're nuts. I'm not coming back again. I'm, I fulfilled my duty to my brother. But then... I did something that opened up the door for God to get into me. I had a thought, and this thought was the thing that cracked the door. But I said, what if it's true and real what they're experiencing? It's all, it's all, I only opened it up that much. And when I did that, I want to tell you, there was a spirit that nearly knocked me out of the pew. I instantly started sobbing and crying, shaking. I didn't know what happened to me. It was so bad that I got up and I ran out of the church. I thought, I don't, I'm losing control, and I don't know why. And I ran into a back room and ran into a backslider that was hiding out from service. There's always one somewhere, you know. And he went, whoa, I don't know what to do with you. And I left that night. But to make a long story short, I did come back. My life fell apart. I remembered what happened that night. And I said to myself, I need to go back to that church before I take my life. That was a night that I was going to take my life Everything had fallen apart, and God had set me up through my brother to come to church one time to put a seed of hope in me. And when I was making that decision, the seed of hope gave me an opportunity to go back to that church at 9.30 at night when it was closed and dark and kneel at an altar and say, I got to know if you're real because something happened here to me and I don't know whether it was me or whether it was you. I got to know that you're really there and I'm seeking you and I'm, I'm hoping you are. If you're there, do you even love me? After what I've done, do you even love me? And you know what happened? I opened the door again. And the same thing that happened on that Wednesday night, weeks earlier, came in, and I began to sob and cry and repent. I'll never forget that, because, see, God wants to come into your life so desperately, but when you keep the door shut, he can't get in. But if you open it up a crack, 
There was a prophecy that came to Parkway when we were there, when it was just a little church, 35 or 40 people. And the prophecy was brought in by, I think it was Esther Vincer, if I remember right. And the prophecy was this, if you will bring them to this place, I will save them. And what happened is people thought, well, if I can just get them into church, maybe that's where my brother got the idea. I don't know. But I was there when she prophesied that. People were doing anything they could to get people into the church service. And what would happen is they, they, they were like popcorn. You know, the Spirit of God, they'd open up their heart a little bit to God and they'd see the faith of somebody else and they'd open up and all of a sudden, boom, boom. But my brother had a problem. Among many problems. And most of them are gone. I'm still his last one. No, but he couldn't get the Holy Ghost. Like he said last week, he just couldn't get it. My first Sunday... After I was baptized, the following Sunday, I got baptized at midnight. I had skipped church. I knew, the reason I skipped church after this thing, I knew that God wanted my whole life. And I wasn't, I'm the kind of person that I don't get into something that I am not going to devote myself to. So I skipped church and God dealt so terribly with me that night. It was under such conviction that at midnight, I got on the phone, and I called my brother, and he wakes up. I think he was working at Everbright Sign Company at the time. It was midnight. Hello? And I could hear Liz, who's calling? And I said to my brother, I'm wide awake. I said, I have to get baptized right now. He says, do you know it's midnight? I said, you got me into this thing. I can't sleep. Jesus is coming, and I am not ready, and I'm not going to miss leaving. <laughs> so whatever you have to do, do it. Well, he called Brother Tamil. I don't know how he got a hold of it. I think he called the truck stop, because he all went over to the truck stop after church on Sunday night. And the whole group of them came back at midnight, or after midnight, and I got baptized in Jesus' name. And that night, I had a dream, a vision. And I'm not going to get real involved in a lot of what some of the things that God has done because I, I don't think some people understand. But God gave me the first of many visions that I've had. The vision was I went to sleep. I was living with my parents at the time. And in the vision... Now remember, I just got baptized. I haven't broke any relationships off with all of my evil friends. He took me to the Middle East. Now, I've never had a Bible study. I don't know anything about prophecy. I'm as ignorant as any kid that's not been in church. And in the, in the vision, he showed me the Euphrates River and a voice talked to me about things that were going to come to pass in the Middle East. It said the Euphrates River will dry up and, and these things will happen. And I saw the dry riverbed of the Euphrates. I don't know where, where would I have ever heard that? But then the last part of the dream, he took me to a lake of fire. It was a brimstone, like a volcano. And there was a plank 
that went out over the molten lava. Now I'm really nervous. I, not, I don't have the fear like the devil would give you fear, but I am anxious about what's going on. I see the person that's been speaking to me standing on the other side of the pit. He's not talking to me. He's somehow communicating with me, telling me what to do. And in front of me was my best friend. And he stood there on the plank over that molten bed of fire. And I knew that I was to push him off. And then I woke up. I, I, I was so uh, bewildered by everything that happened and I woke up and I said, God, I don't understand. I love Paul. He's my best friend. And I was so anxious to get a hold of Paul and tell him some of the things that were going on in my life. I was so overjoyed after my baptism. You could, I was a different person. I was bubbly. I had, God gave me a, person, a reason to live. I was alive. And I remember going to Dairy, I remember going to Dairy Queen and I met Paul there and I, I took him aside and I, I said, Paul, buddy, I've had something happen to me. I've been waiting to talk to you all week. This is so great. He says, tell me, what is it? I think he was looking for some new drug or something. And I told him, about my relationship with God that I found him and Jesus was real and I was so excited and he said, I don't want any part of it. Get away from me. And he never talked to me again. And I remembered the dream that it was my testimony, it was my pleading with him, my invitation to him, that affected possibly his destiny. Now, he may have repented. Do you realize how important what you do is? You're a surgeon. You're going in and you're helping with, under the presence and of the observation of the Holy Spirit. Your testimony is affecting the eternity of the people you're talking with. That's your purpose. Well, would you go into surgery without going to medical school? Wouldn't you want to gather information from people that have done the surgery so that you do it? Excuse me, do it right? That's a purpose. The Bible talks about people in the New Testament church that were addicted to the ministry of the saints. You can get addicted? <laughs> oh, absolutely. But sometimes we have to grow up. And 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. You know, it was all right, and it was pretty cute when you were, you were new to the Lord, and you made a few mistakes, and you started to do a couple things that weren't necessarily right, and that was cute. And we, people expected you to do that because you were new to the Lord. But it doesn't look the same when you've grown up 
to be doing the same things that you were doing as a child. As you grow emotionally and intellectually in your human element, we must grow spiritually in our spiritual element. Hebrews, the fifth chapter, verse 12 and 13 says, In fact, though by this time, <laughs> in fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with teachings about righteousness. But there comes a time when we put away childish things and we, we take the meat of God's word and we grow up. We realize our responsibility. And you know what? When you get older, your appetite increases too. You ever see kids, how much they eat? They don't stay in one place to eat a whole meal. I remember Jonathan, we say, how can the kid survive? He ate one French fry, one green bean, and a little applesauce, and he's running all over. Where does he get his strength from? But the older you get, pretty soon the more you can eat. That's why the Bible says you should gather yourselves all the more as you see the day approaching. Your appetite should be good. You know, when you work in a hospital, do you know that they, if you're sick, they watch how much you eat? They make sure that you have a good intake of fluid and a good take, intake of food because you need it to survive. Do you know when you're sick, sometimes you don't really feel like eating? Do they just let you starve? Oh, you're sick. Oh, you get over it. You're in the hospital. He hasn't eaten in five days. He'll get over it. No, they put IVs in you because you need to eat to live. Whatever gets into a man to stop coming to church when things aren't going right. When you're sick, you need the nourishment that comes through the spirit, the water of the Holy Ghost. You need to drink when you're sick. You need to sit right underneath the spigot of the Holy Spirit when you're not feeling good. You need to flush out all the sin and impurities that are making you ill. You need to eat so your body can fight the infection. You need to hear the preach word of God to fight evil. You know, I'm just going to go out and I'll do my thing, my yoga in the woods. That ain't going to fight infection. It's not going to make you strong. The Bible tells me, in fact, I should hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus said, blessed, in Matthew 5 and 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I am watching the clock tonight. Um, so... I'll let you out before dark. Life is tough. And sometimes we have to just endure what we're going through, don't we? Didn't Jesus say that they that endure to the end shall be saved? Life can be tough. There can be adverse situations that arise in your life. And they can come on you unexpectedly. 
If there is a certainty in life, it is that life is uncertain. And you know there will be events that will enter into your little scope of living that will test your courage, that will test your faith, will test your patience. You never know what each day holds. That's why you better make sure that you have your tank full because you don't know where the next station might be. Every one of us is traveling their own road. I can't compare my life to your life. God has sent you out into possibly a different field of labor. He's given you different skills than I have. I can't compare what I do and with what you do. We're still under the auspices of the Holy Spirit, and we're all working for the furtherment of the kingdom of God. But each one of us has our own unique set of circumstances. God, however, is not variable. God is a constant. He doesn't change. He's predictable. And you can always count on him. See, God doesn't always choose to eliminate your problem. He doesn't always choose to take you out of tribulation. He doesn't always do that. I wish he would. No, I don't. Honestly, when I think about that statement, I am glad for all the things that God has brought me through because they've helped make me what I am. God will raise up a standard against your enemy when the battle comes. Isaiah 59 and 19. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory, for he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. Wow, is that a word picture? He will come in like a pent-up flood, a rushing water, and the breath, the breath of the Lord will drive it along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. We all know Philippians 4 and 13, we can do all things through Christ Jesus, which will strengthen you. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, I don't have the verse uh, exactly, it's probably about verse 38. He will come and he will not tarry. And then 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I think we've all been there, haven't we? God, I don't know how much more I can take. When's the window opening? You're going to make a way out, and he always comes through. You may feel like Paul when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 4 and 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. 
In other words, we're battling, but we're still victorious. A Christian will experience troubles, but through Christ Jesus, he does not have to succumb to doubt or fear that God has forsaken him. Don't ever think that. God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Am I all by myself? Because that's the devil telling you that God's gone. My Bible says, anybody know the verse? I will never leave you. He said that, right? I will never forsake you. I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. That is a promise. So that even if I do not see him, even if I do not feel him, even though I'm overwhelmed with my problem, I can rest assured that he is near me. Everyone in this room can share times that they've wondered and questioned God as to why things were going the way they were going. But after we look backwards, when we are maturity catches up with our lack of immature of maturity, our immaturity. We see what Paul said, all things, they work together for the good. Of all those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And that's where we started tonight, the purpose of life. What is the purpose of life? His purpose. And in closing tonight, let me remind you, God is bigger than your problems. He's all-encompassing of any situation that you could ever have. And most of all, he keeps his promises. Now, you may feel, and sometimes I feel this way too, you may feel that the world is completely out of control. But remember, God is still on his throne. The earth is the Lord's, Psalm 1. Psalm 1. And you know, to all those people that are talking about global warming, let me remind them, it's not our earth. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and the world and all they were that dwell therein. For they were created upon the seas and established by the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity? Nor spoken lies deceitfully. He shall receive the reward from the God of his salvation. It pays to live the purpose of God and not your own. Just remember... Who's going to ascend to his holy place? Clean hands. Pure heart. Ephesians 6 and 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil that are in heavenly realms. Just remember, your enemy is a spiritual enemy. And you have to fight it with spiritual weapons. If you try to fight evil with physical, 
you get frustration. But if you fight evil with spiritual, you get victory. What weapon do you have tonight? Sword of the Lord, which is what? The word of God. That's the only aggressive weapon that's in the armor. Only one, the sword. The only thing in our arsenal that we need to defeat Satan is the word of God. And I can prove that because when Satan came against Jesus, how did Jesus overcome him? He could have said, poof, you're done, and vaporized him. He says, it is written, Satan. It is written. And when you start getting tempted and told that it's not going to work and the, there's no hope, tell him, it's written. This is what the Bible says. And he will leave you just like he left Christ. Let's stand together. I had an individual today, just before I went home, or this afternoon, I should say, after lunch, I, I hesitated how much to say, but he asked me to come in his office. And he said, I, need, I really need to talk to you. And I thought, oh, no, I am in trouble. I don't know what I've done this time. And he shared with me that he was facing a life decision, and he didn't know what to do. And you know what I told him? The same thing I'm going to tell you tonight. You need to go to God and ask him what his purpose is for you. Don't look at an opportunity and make a judgment on an opportunity. Go to God and ask him if this opportunity fits his purpose for you. Because you are here under a higher calling than a physical occupation. So maybe that should be our prayer tonight. Where do all these things fit into the purpose, my purpose, Lord? What is my purpose? Show me my purpose. The Bible says if you come to him and ask him, he will reveal it to you. You may not like it, but you will once you obey him. This altar is open tonight if you'd like to come and pray. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.